Welcome to the Brazil Church of the Nazarene Weekly Sermon. This is the sermon from Sunday, March 3rd, 2019, titled Christ-like Example Number 2. Today's message is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30, and is a follow-up to last week's sermon. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we might be tempted to think of the men and women we are reading about as extraordinary people. Today, Pastor Marlon Betts takes a look at an ordinary person whom Paul felt was worthy of honor because of his Christ-like example. If he could live like Jesus, shouldn't we also live like Jesus? Let's listen to Pastor's message. Interesting, the first song they picked out went right along with this passage in Philippians chapter 2 where one day every tongue will confess you are God, one day every knee will bow. We've been kind of talking about that for, for a while and uh, again it just keeps fitting back in because that's that is the apex i think of the christian walk is being like jesus christ following him and one day whether we like it or not and i'm going to love it christians are going to love it but others may not we're going to have to bow and confess jesus christ is lord that's going to change the whole universe that day all those that think they're so smart got it all figured out and they've been going on for since the time of Cain I guess <laughs> that there is no God and they're acting like it are one day gonna have to just say whoa wait a minute Jesus is Lord Jesus is Lord amen amen well, we're continuing in Philippians chapter 2, and I'm sorry Mary Sue was sick today, so without a musician, uh, we didn't get to hear the drums today for the first time. So one of these days, we're going to have a little tap-tap going on in the background, and we'll see how that goes and when it happens. Uh, really, we're just getting used to the color red up on the platform. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. As we stand together, and you can follow along on the screen if you so like, or look in your own Bibles. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Now, now, this is a word we're going to be saying a lot, so turn to your neighbor and say Epaphroditus. You, you said it wrong. <laughs> Epaphroditus. So that's the one that word we're going to be using um, a lot today. And if I'm saying it wrong, we're all saying it wrong. So it's just the way that I think it should be. All right. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. But your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all. So I'm going to send him to you. Necessary to send to you because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost to, unto death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow if he would have died. <laughs> Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and, all, and hold all such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking 
in your service toward me. Lord, bless the reading of his word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we just ask today that you will again bring us in as we look to the word of God and then continue our worship in a few minutes. But we just want to thank you for this time of sharing together from the word and guide us and encourage us and strengthen us and send us out, Lord, better Christians. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been talking in this chapter about Jesus Christ, the example of the one that, uh, as we said, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. He's, he's the exalted Lord now because he became the humiliated Son of Man who came and was faithful even to the death on the cross. And so Paul is talking about in his own life how we need to respond, how the Philippians need to respond, and how, how he has poured out his life, and how we need to share the gospel to others, and, and stop murmuring, and stop doubting. All these things we've been doing as a response to the life of Christ. And then he chose a couple of illustrations, one Timothy, that we looked at last week as a Christ-like example, and today Epaphroditus, who's going to be another example, and and. Sometimes it's good to talk about Jesus, but sometimes it's good to just pull somebody out of life that the Philippian church would have been very familiar with and say, here's an example of what it means to be a Christ-like person in the world in which you live. So he is pulling that out for them uh, in this letter. And so that's what we're going to look at. Uh, His second example, a man named Epaphroditus. And background for Epaphroditus He's mentioned only in this letter to the Philippian Christians. That's because he lived in Philippi, and the rest of the Christians would not have known him that Paul was writing to in his other letters. There's a dramatic story in his life that needs to be told. Paul started the Christian church at Philippi during his second missionary journey and returned two more times through Philippi on his third missionary journey, both going and coming back. And he was strengthening the church and helping it to grow. And Silas was with him and Timothy. And one of those trips through there, he met Epaphroditus. And maybe he was even saved under his ministry. We don't know for sure. But the church there was growing. And, uh, and so at the end of his third trip, when he got back to uh, the Palestine area, um, he went to Jerusalem and got arrested. You know the story Paul did. And was put on a ship for Rome, and as they were going across the Mediterranean Sea, got in a shipwreck, and just stuff happened, but eventually ended up in Rome, and he was put in prison, and is waiting trial. Now, Epaphroditus is a very common name in Paul's day. That's because it has the name of a Greek goddess in his name, Aphrodite. You've heard of Aphrodite. The Roman goddess Venus, and a lot of people have put the two together, um, and the Phoenician goddess Astarte uh, are all this goddess, and the different cultures call it a different name. So Aphrodite is the Greek goddess of love, beauty, and sexual pleasure. And... uh, So Epaphroditus is a very common name. It is felt that his parents were not 
Christians because they named him after the Greek goddess who they really did a lot of worship for, Aphrodite. Um, uh, so that is kind of the background that we know through his name that he was raised in a family that worshipped Aphrodite. And uh, the worship of Aphrodite is not pretty. Um, we would say as Christians, we, wouldn't, we would not enjoy that. Now, Epaphroditus got saved sometime after the church was started in Philippi. And we don't know when or where, whatever. But it came time when the church of Philippi heard that Paul was in prison. Now, Paul in prison is unable to support himself because he used to do tent making and other things. And had other people that would patronize him and, and supply his needs. So he has no way financially to take care of him and Timothy and Silas and others that were there in the prison with him. He's the one that's arrested, but others have been there. Luke the physician, some others had come by. Um, So he did not from time, I don't know who was there exactly at this time, but anyway, some came and left. But Timothy was there. But we don't know when he got saved, but sometime in the period he did, and Paul knew who he was and saw the work he was doing in the church. They wanted to support Paul in his ministry, so they took up a collection and sent an offering, a gift. Either they appointed Epaphroditus or he volunteered, probably the latter. And so since the entire church could not come and minister to Paul in his time of suffering, they gave him two jobs to do. First one, they trusted him with some money to carry on that long journey. And secondly, when he was there... He was to act on behalf of Christ and behalf of this church in ministering to the needs of Paul. Do whatever it takes. Be his personal caregiver. Love on him. Cook him food. You know, clean up the room. Do whatever it takes to let them know that we, the church of Philippi, love you, Paul. Do it for us, Epaphroditus. And so he was to encourage and support and so on. Now it's 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. But both cities were within a few miles of the Mediterranean Sea, so going by ship would have been the preferred route and would have been a whole lot quicker than walking by land. So it's thought that that he probably went that route, which may have taken him only a few days, maybe possibly up to a month. If he'd have gone by land, it would have been a couple of months uh, or more. So Epaphroditus is to go there as a representative of the Philippian church and do these tasks. But during the trip, probably right after his arrival though, it could have been during the trip, Epaphroditus got deathly sick. And uh, could have been that Roman flu, <laughs> the scourge that w- goes through the city of Rome every now and then. It could have been something else. But anyway, he got very sick. He arrived, uh, delivered his money, helped support the ministry, got involved in taking care of Paul. Some think maybe he overexerted himself in the care of Paul and got down weak physically and so then got sick. Um, But anyway, it was a terrible sickness and uh, it was deathly sickness. And it got so bad that Paul thought he was actually going to die. And he hated that because he's away from home. And to die in a prison 
and the min, uh, a merchant or some other traveler, everybody comes to Rome and heads back to their home. Remember, Philippi is a Roman colony, so a lot of uh, there would be a lot of traveling back and forth from merchants and other businessmen. Uh, and so somebody took the message back: Epaphroditus is dying. And so the church at, at, at Philippi is really concerned because he's one of their main members. I mean, they trusted him with this money and this ministry to take care of Paul. And then that message got back uh, to Rome. Yeah, we heard Epaphroditus is dying. Paul was in prison for a couple of years, so this back and forth could have, could have taken place. But since Epaphroditus had finally recovered from his illness, he may still be a little bit weak, but he's getting better. He's no longer going to die. Paul decided it was necessary, that's the word he uses in verse 25, to send him back with this letter to the Philippian church because his friends there in Philippi are worried that Epaphroditus is probably dead or close to it. Because that's the last word that they'd heard. So with that as a historical background, we want to look at what Paul writes about Epaphroditus. Because we looked at Timothy and his characteristics of a Christ-like life. I want to look at Epaphroditus and his characteristics. First one, he was a ministry partner. Verse 25, I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. We'll start with there. The term brother means that they were united in Christ. They were both Christians. In the church, I don't know if you're back in the day, but when I grew up, they would say brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Were you all part of that? My parents were called brother and sister Betts. Right? Uh, That was just, and it was done on purpose to, to identify each other as being part of a family. Only problem came in is when a visitor came, then you would say, Mr. and Mrs. And then everybody else was brother and sister. It's almost like you were making a choice when you spoke to them whether or not they were a Christian. So I think that's probably why it dropped over time, because every time we would say brother or sister, maybe they weren't a brother or sister, or we'd say Mr. and Mrs., and maybe they were a Christian. And we began to be judging by the way that we, we claimed them. And so he calls him a brother, which means that you're a Christian. And uh, this first level of Epaphroditus being Paul's brother, every Christian has that. We have this level. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? But there was a deeper level of connection between Paul and Epaphroditus. He called him a fellow worker. A fellow worker. Both at Philippi, in the city there, and in Rome, they were united in working for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I don't know what they united in. Maybe he helped write some of the letters. Uh, Certainly he helped minister to the Roman guards that were there and the prison workers and who knows what all else that he got involved in. But he just didn't sit around and he got busy. Worked with Paul. And not all Christians will be your partners in ministry. We'll all be brothers and sisters, but this is a different level of a fellow worker. But if you're on the praise team together, or if you're in the teen class together, and you're teaching together, or going on trips together, and, and if you're, you know, there's different things when you get to partnering with people in ministry, that you become at a deeper level than just a brother and sister in Christ. And Paul connected that. It's like a team. You know, if you're a basketball team, somebody inbounds, somebody else dribbles down, somebody passes, and then they pass two or three times, and somebody shoots, and somebody else blocks, and somebody else 
defends and somebody else rebounds and you know everybody's got their part on a team and it keeps switching another but you're a team in ministry doing this thing and the goal is to win the prize win the game for Jesus working together and accomplishing the goal of your shared ministry whatever it may be and we put together some quest teams last Sunday kind of excited some of that has already begun um, and that process of sharing a ministry to do something for the cause of Christ. Thank the Lord for that. You may know of a hundred Christian friends, but there may only be 30 or 40 that you ever get involved with in ministry over your lifetime. Maybe it'd be more, depending on how many ministries you get in. But usually you work together with the same kind of group of people in the same kind of ministries. If you're in children's ministries, you stay there a lot, <laughs> a long time through life. Um, you go see Booty, that's what she talks about. That was her ministry. For many, many years, she taught the children and picked them up in her car. Um, so, then there's a deeper level, Paul says. He calls Epaphroditus his fellow soldier. This is getting down to a, a level beyond just being a Christian or even working together in ministry. This was a, a, a term that meant that they had actually got into the battle against Satan together. That they were warriors that fought together. They got in the trenches. They both were being attacked. They both stood their ground. They both had each other's back. And this is the level where no details are provided, but they had a spiritual battle that they fought together against Satan. On more than one occasion, he calls them a fellow soldier. And I have had Christians in my life at different times in my life, different churches I've pastored that became a fellow soldier with me, got in at this level with me. And you have too. We, we fast and pray together over situations and problems. And we share the same burdens. We, we shed tears together. And we, we turn to each other for help when no one else would do. They were willing to jump in the battle and say, I'm with you. Right? And they were on your side. Who do you call when you get into trouble and circumstances? Who's the person you first think of? That's probably your fellow soldier in Christ. And we need a fellow soldier, don't we? Sometimes it may be a spouse, but it may be a parent. <laughs> and when you're a real young Christian, it may be a grandparent. That's the person you call. Grandma, you need to pray. I'm going through a tough time. So at school or wherever it is. And so that person who gets in that corner with you, who, who when the devil is fighting hard, they've got your back, that person is a fellow soldier. And that's what Paul is writing about. Epaphroditus was his ministry partner on all three levels, as a Christian, as a worker in ministry, and as a spiritual warrior who had his back when the going got tough. So just want to throw that, that out there. I think we need to get involved in all three levels. Work on that. There's going to be some that you're just their Christian brother or sister. There's going to be some that you're in ministry with. There's also going to be some that you're, you're intimate with as far as you know their problems. You're helping them pray about those problems, and you're in there fighting the battle against Satan. Amen. So those are good things. Uh, ministry partner. Second thing, he's self-giving. Continue in verse 25. He says, but your messenger... And the one who ministered to my needs. So he was all of these three things, fellow soldier, fellow worker, and so on. But he's also the Philippi messenger, 
and the one who ministered to my needs. So he was self-giving. The Greek word used for messenger is the word apostle, interestingly enough. But Paul is using it in a wider sense that Epaphroditus was commissioned by the Philippian church to be their representative of love and service. They had sent Epaphroditus with a task to accomplish, just like an apostle was sent by the church with a task to accomplish. The word ministered that he uses here is also very interesting. It is the same word used in verse 30. Uh, It's translated there, service. Now, since it was impossible for the entire church to come and take care of Paul, he said, so he came to supply what was lacking in your service, in your ministry, for me. They couldn't come and do it. So Epaphroditus came to do it in their place. That's why he says in verse uh, 25, your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. We know the church couldn't come and do it, but he took their place and was doing it. So that's what this means. Uh, The Greek word has a deeper ministry meaning than that which we would say in English. It is the idea of this ministering, is the idea of one in the Old Testament or even New Testament who offers themselves as a sacrifice. The priest offered sacrifices in behalf of others. He ministered for them when they would bring their sacrifices in. Well, Paul says Epaphroditus offering himself in behalf of the church because they could not come and minister to Paul. He was their offering of ministry, and he himself offered himself as a ministry, as a sacrifice on behalf of the church and Jesus Christ for Paul. So he was personally offering himself. He was giving everything he had to help Paul as a caregiver while Paul was in prison. His efforts in service deeply touched Paul's heart. His example of, I'm just going to give, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to give to you, Paul, because we need to fight this battle in ministry together, and we need you to be okay to get through this. And, and he uses this again in, at the end of Philippians 4 when he talks about Epaphroditus in verse 18. He writes, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, which is the offering. And then he says, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You see, he said, Epaphroditus is just giving and giving and giving of himself like a sacrifice for me in ministry. So that's why I'm saying he is self-giving. And he challenged his readers in Romans 12 that we present our bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God. So Christians are to become self-giving people, following the example of Christ. And Epaphroditus was a person willing to go that second mile in order to serve God and minister to Paul. And then there's another spot here, um, kind of an aside, but I want to put it in here because it's definitely seen, and that is number three, he was emotionally concerned. From verse 26, since he was longing, Epaphroditus is longing for you all and is distressed because you heard that he was sick. Perhaps Epaphroditus overexerted himself in ministry. Perhaps he picked up some disease that's going around the prison. But anyway, he became deathly sick, and some traveler took the news back to Philippi that Epaphroditus is dying. So he started to improve, but he's concerned now that his church family doesn't know about his improvement. They were probably praying for God to spare his life. 
and his life had already been spared. They were probably, he didn't know. They didn't know. There's no connection as to whether they figured it out yet that he was saved uh, from, from his deathly illness. So this distressed Epaphroditus. He had a longing to see his friends and family and let them know that he was fine. So he became emotionally concerned. So we have been spoiled today. Different world Paul lived in. In fact, it's a different world until about 10, 15, 20 years ago. We're spoiled today because we have ways of immediately connecting. Right? People today are in constant contact. In fact, you can be in constant contact with people in a matter of seconds today. It didn't work that way in Paul's day. In fact, I told you a little bit last week about my brother who was a missionary to Mexico. When he was down there, we did not know how he was doing. He took short way before, before he left, uh, and, uh, but it cost too much to, to build a shortwave tower, and you, you, know, you learn that dot and dash stuff, and then you, you pass that test, which he did, and then you can actually get on and get at a certain frequency and have somebody in the United States get at a certain frequency, and you could talk to each other. And then you could do that uh, whenever you decide to both get on, and you have to agree, okay, we're going to get on next Monday at 3 p.m. at this signal, but it never worked out because it was too expensive to buy all the equipment to set up in Mexico. So the only way my parents, and then they would translate it or transfer it on to us when they would hear it, was a letter. Letters from Mexico. And I don't know, back then the postal service wasn't really great. In fact, we sent um, a Christmas box down, Debbie and I. And like you're supposed to do, labeled all the stuff on there. Well, they opened it up and took out the stuff that they wanted and sent on what was left. And they didn't bother to tell us for a while because they knew we'd be so disappointed. We sent down a, a little train set for my little nephew to play. and I mean, we put a lot of love and money, and we were poor anyway. I was going to uh, Bible school still. Uh, and and here, here we did this, and, and they let a little bit of the stuff go through, but most they took what they wanted. Who's to say? They did find the list and this, saw that a lot of stuff was missing. So they would hear by, uh, by mail, which was nebulous at best. And then every six months they had to come out to renew their temporary visa. And so when they crossed the border into Texas, because long distance calls to Mexico were very, very expensive. Then they would call, phone home. And then we would find out how things were going on. So when my brother delivered... His wife's and their, their first son down in Mexico, we didn't know she almost died. We didn't know the baby almost died after 23 hours of labor with no doctor. Not even in a hospital. We didn't find out until after the fact. Or we would have been praying. <laughs> you know, this is the concern that we had. We didn't know he was almost poisoned. We don't know when he lost his leg. Until after the fact. And you can imagine, you know, today we have instant access to anything that goes on around the world. Back then we had no clue. And my brother was in danger for his very life. We just prayed for him every day. That's all we could do. Hold him up in prayer. Pray for their security. 
We didn't know they got held up at the border. All these things that, that were part of their life, we wouldn't find out about until the next time they called or the next time they wrote. So we've been spoiled today, and it was very distressing to find out what happened. And when he got a staph infection and everything else, finally came back to the States to, put on, to make a skin graft, make a prosthesis out of the bottom of his leg, and, uh, and you know, make a stump, and then put a prosthesis on so he could walk again. He went through that process. Then I got to see my brother again and know that he was okay. Until he left and went back down there. <laughs> I'm just trying to share that. I know what Epaphroditus was feeling. <laughs> Separated from his friends, and they think he's dead or about to die, and they don't know what's true. And you know how inside you're just going, well, help my brother. Help my, help my brother in Christ. And my fellow, I don't want him to be gone. His friends and family were very concerned. So Epaphroditus was emotionally concerned. He wanted to get home. He wanted his family to know he's okay. He wanted his church family to know he was okay. So I throw that in there. It's not necessarily a Christian trait except to realize that, yeah, we can get emotionally concerned about people. And we pray for them and we lift them up. Fourth, he was totally committed. And this is so key. You notice how some of these are parallel to what we said about Timothy. Verse 30, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Totally committed. For the work of Christ, Paul wrote, Epaphroditus came close to death, not regarding his life. Now I hear the excuse often from fellow Christians that the biblical heroes of faith are somehow some superhuman Christians, super spiritual. We use that as an excuse so we don't have to commit ourselves to the same level of effort that they seemed to go through. But Epaphroditus was about as common as they came. He was a Christian layman, but he was totally committed to serving God and completing his assigned ministry even though he was sick. He did the best that he could. They trusted him with the money. He delivered that. They trusted him with serving Paul. He did that until he got sick. And we talk in our earlier point of self-giving how Epaphroditus offered himself in sacrificial service in place of his church by coming to Paul in prison and ministering to the personal needs of Paul. We have also mentioned how Paul wrote that Epaphroditus came close to death because of some terrible illness. Paul seriously thought he was going to die. And Paul is making a direct comparison to Epaphroditus to Christ who became obedient to the point of death, verse 8 of this chapter. He's a Christ-like person because he was willing to risk his life in ministry and for the cause. He was committed. But Paul added a new phrase in, in this verse, verse 30 about Epaphroditus, that in his commitment to ministry, in his coming even down to death, that he was not regarding his life. Paul is again using a specific Greek word. Not regarding is a word used of gamblers. In Greek culture, when they risked everything, when they got to that point where they said the stakes are so high that I'm going to throw in the entire pot, I'm going to give everything that I've got, I'm going to put my house and wife and kids and everything in there, poof, in order to win this pot. 
in order to win this prize. They risked it all. And that's the word that Paul is using. He was literally giving his all, putting his life at risk. And the risk was great because the stakes were worth it, the cause of Jesus Christ. So when Paphroditus came to visit Paul in Rome, he's putting his life in grave danger. He was visiting a well-known felon who was on trial and could be executed. Now, some of the others that were traveling with Paul would have already been known as being part of that felon's group. But Epaphroditus was from a different city and town. Nobody knew he had a connection with Paul until he showed up. And nobody would have put him together until he actually came to the prison, asked to see Paul, came in and delivered some cash to the group so they could survive a little bit longer, and then came and ministered to him in person. And when he started doing so, they said, oh, you're one of those. And if it did not go good for Paul, it may not go good for his companions, including Epaphroditus and Timothy. He risked his life, not regarding his life. The Greek term became an identifying word for other Christians in the early church and following, from the time of Paul on, who were willing to risk for the cause of Jesus Christ. The early church talked about them. They were a group of Christian men and women called riskers because they were willing to minister and visit those in prison who were Christians who were there because of their Christianity. And in 232 in Carthage, there was this great plague that came. And the people of the town were so concerned about, they would take the, the dead bodies and put them throw them out into the street because they were worried about being contaminated and getting the sickness. So here's this street full of dead bodies and, no, and others are fleeing town because they're scared. The town was in peril of becoming a ghost town. And Cyprian, the bishop of the Christian church there in Carthage, called his members together. And they put their lives at risk and went out and started burying these dead and ministering to the sick from this plague, realizing that they themselves could contract this disease and die. And they became known by this word, riskers. The Greek word. And they saved the city from extinction. This is the history of the church, of people who were willing to risk their lives. And when my brother and his wife... She was an RN, and he was a trained missionary, and they went to Bible college, and she went to RN school. When they went to Mexico to be medical missionaries to the Zapotego Indians, they risked their lives. And when they drove away, I didn't know if I'd see them again. And I've already told you some of the stuff that happened. But the call and the commitment outweighed the risk to them. They were following God, even if it meant their own death. And they came close to it on a couple occasions. Now, I know that ministry always comes with a cost. And these people were ordinary people. But they had a passion for God. And when ministry comes at a cost, you need to realize, folks, We need to understand that ministry is not a gamble. 
Ministry is not a gamble when you know it is God's will. Yes, they're riskers. Yes, they may die. But they know it's not a gamble. Because Jesus promised, my word will not return void. And you sow a cup or give a cup of water in my name or you sow a seed in my name. You're going to reap 30, 60, 100 fold. And again and again, people who have risked their lives have gone there and realized that sometimes evil happens. Sometimes death occurred. But in the long haul, the gospel got out there. And people were saved and came to Christ. And that is why Christians for 100 years have been totally committed to Christ and doing ministry for Christ. Totally committed. Totally committed. I had a dream last night. <laughs> About 3 a.m. And I was preaching this sermon. And when I got to this point, people started standing up. I'm totally committed. I'm totally committed. From all over the congregation. God wants us. To be this kind of a person where we can say you can count on me Jesus I'm going through I'm going through I'll pay the price whatever others do I'll take the way with the Lord's anointed few I'm going through Jesus I'm going through we used to sing that when I was a kid. Number five, he was worthy of recognition. This is a little different. Verse 29, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. In the Greek-Roman world, one of the highest cultural values was honor. People were constantly competing for public recognition through athletic victories. Uh, Paul writes about that. They received this little perishable crown made out of a garland. Or they were constantly competing in financial gifts. They would have people that would they, they use this word, honor here. They would actually go to their town and they would maybe uh, fit out a warship and put the men on it and send it out in the battle. Or they would build a, uh, a building in town that needed to be built and presented to them to, to use. Or, or they would, you know, financially, they would, they would do things for their city, for their country. Then, of course, there was the military conquest. That was a big thing, that you would come back surviving and, and be promoted, and you'd be the, the one that they build a statue for, or, or a column, or something, an archway in your town, because of so-and-so lived here. Sometimes you drive around and you come to a town and they'll say, baseball player so-and-so grew up here. Or basketball player so-and-so grew up here, right? Larry Bird came from Indiana. So we're all Larry Bird fans, right? Nope. <laughs> but I'm just saying, somewhere there's a town that says Larry Bird grew up here. I'm sir. They would put that on there. Um, I go to visit my dad in Oblong, and there's some baseball player I never heard of. Grew up there, and they've got a little sign outside. Little tiny town. 
Anyway, just letting you know. Northview probably has your uh, jersey retired and on there, right? All right. So they were known for their athletics or their military conquests or their financial gifts or for some for their nobility con- connections. They, they were born rich and so people catered to them and etc. Whatever the thing is, these people received honor. And in a culture obsessed with gaining honor, Paul turns it all upside down and points to a man named Epaphroditus and says, honor him. It wasn't about upward mobility, it was about downward mobility. Can you see how this is different? Here's a man who gives of himself, leaves his job, leaves his city, leaves his family, leaves his church, and travels many miles, delivers a gift financially, and then begins to become a worker and taking care of another person's needs. That's not upward mobility. That's service, commitment to the cause of Jesus Christ. What would take a missionary to say, I'm going to leave this in my comforts and sell everything that I have and pack everything I've got in a couple of suitcases and travel across the world and begin to share the gospel with people who don't even know me? See, the world looks at that and they go, that's no way to go. That's not how to be successful. What they don't understand, though, is Christians are not called to be successful. Although many times we try to get into that name success. But Christians are called to be victorious. We're called to win in the name of Jesus Christ. We're not called to make money. We're called to be disciples that stay faithful to the end. Just like Jesus Even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And here's this man who almost died in service for Jesus. And Paul said, we need to esteem him. Receive him back. Some feel that maybe because they heard that he got there and was dying physically that he had failed in his mission. Some were probably calling him a quitter. And Paul is saying, no, receive this man. Esteem him highly. He gave his best. Today in Western culture, Christians need to stand apart from what the world looks on as success. We know it, but we often forget that physical appearance is not the most important trait. That financial success is not the most important trait. That lots of money and lots of possessions is not what makes us a Christian. That celebrity status, sexual conquest, and stardom, all these things have little to do with God's value, yet the world says, oh, they're so important. I get sick and tired of hearing about so-and-so, having an affair with so-and-so, and all this stuff, and woo Because I don't care about the Kardashians. I care about Jesus. Amen? What's important in life for a Christian is different than what's important in life to the world. 
And we got to live by a different value system. And we need to honor people who take the way of the cross, for goodness sakes, and not take the way of the world. Who do we pattern our life after? We're going to pattern it after Jesus? Or the latest star that's out there having a problem? How many football players beat up somebody? How many are going to jail? How many are on drugs? How many are this, that, and the other thing? And we want them to be our stars in life, folks? We need to wake up. Epaphroditus is the star. Because he gave, and he gave, and he gave. And then he points to Jesus as the ultimate star who died on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. So all these things that the world says, that's it, that's it, that's status, that's... I'm sorry. Turn that upside down. When it comes to a Christian... It's a whole different direction, a whole different means of valuing. Because the humiliation and exaltation of Christ shows us plainly that the real values are holiness, thinking of others first, which both of these men had, even a willingness to take a lesser position or make less money in order to follow God's will. Wow. Because it's not all about social status. It's not about how many possessions you own. It's not about having the newest and the best. It's about a man who used to be God, who came as the God-man and became obedient to death Even the death of the cross, that's what it's all about. Because the Bible said from clear in the Old Testament, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. So we need to be careful, even in the church, not to idolize the church leaders who become successful. Or the recording artists who have achieved some form of success. And we have issues today because we have these groups that we really like or this person we really like. And some people follow them. And they think that's my idea of success as a Christian. And it's a wrong idea of success. What makes us successful is Jesus Christ. If anything good happens in your life, it's because of Jesus Christ. If anything good happens in my life, it's because of Jesus Christ. If anybody comes to Christ, it's because of him. I'm just doing my part. You're just doing your part. We're not here to be successful. We're here to be victorious. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to make a name for Jesus. We're to allow Christ to shine out through our lives. And they may bury you in a tomb and, and, and try to scrape together a few hundred dollars, put a gravestone on there. But let me tell you something. Jesus is going to one day sound the trumpet or send an angel, and you're going to come out alive, and you're going to go to be with him, and he's going to give you what everybody else gets, a white robe and a crown to cast at his feet. Because when we get to heaven, he's going to say, you've been faithful over a few things. You better be faithful. You better be victorious. 
And so we have a name we can hardly even say, Epaphroditus, named after Aphrodite, a Greek goddess, for goodness sakes. So the guy comes from nowhere. But Jesus got out of his heart, and he ministered and almost died. And he makes it into the sacred book because he followed Jesus. He followed Jesus. He was a common unsung hero. But Paul wrote to the Philippian church that he was worthy of recognition. And we need to intentionally remember and find ways to honor the unknown Christ-like heroes who are living amongst us today. We need to say our appreciation now while they're still living. A couple of children came up to me following Sunday school this morning. They gave me a little card. Well, that's not it. That's my tithe. I don't know where I put it, but it's there. There it is. She's, he's pointing to it. <laughs> And they wanted to let me know they, they want to see me at church. They care about me. That just makes you feel good, doesn't it? When someone says, I want to see you, I care about you. You're important to me. God help us to think about our relationship with God to the point where we can give ourselves for him. Now Paul used Epaphroditus as an example of Christ-likeness. Like Jesus, Paul and Timothy. Epaphroditus now is another example who sacrificed much for the sake of the gospel. He almost died while doing Christ-like ministry. The important question that we need to answer as we look at this human example and the one last week, same question basically. When our friends and family look at you, when your friends and family look at you, do they see Jesus? Will they say, that is a Christ-like person? That's the question you need to answer this morning. We can say that about Paul. We can say that about Timothy. We can say that about Epaphroditus. They were human. They made their mistakes. They got sick. They had their problems financially in other ways. But they looked like Jesus. They looked like Jesus. Is the life you are living... This question keeps getting in my mind. Is the life that you are living the life that you want to invite other people to live? Or they look at you and say, if that's a Christian, I don't want that. Or do they say, if I get saved, I want the kind of religion she has. I want the relationship with God he has. 
It's the life that we live, the life that other people want to have. It's family altar time. Again, we open up our altar and just allow you to pray for whatever it is that's on your heart, whatever Jesus has been speaking to you. I'd like us to pray today, some of us, about our commitment to Jesus. Are we giving all? Are we giving all to him? Are we 100% for the kingdom of God? As the praise team comes and their altar is open, we can talk about finances. We can, you can talk to God about problems. We've had losses in this church. We've had all kinds of things going on. But in the midst of talking about these things, some need to come and talk to Jesus about our commitment. I am 100% going through with Jesus. Amen? And then we'll have worship time after our family altar time. Let's stand together and respond as the Spirit speaks. Lord Jesus, just speak to us today. Lord, we're praying prayers of commitment today. We're saying, Lord, we want to serve you. I will serve you because I love you. You've given life to us, Lord. Sometimes we get our eyes off the goal and off the prize and get it onto ourselves, or look in the mirror a little too much and think we're all that. But Lord, it's really Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Always was, always will be Jesus. Lord, we lift you up today. We see you as the one who needs to be lifted up. And Lord, you will draw people to yourself. And so today, Lord, as we kneel here and some are in, the, in their pews or in the seats standing, Lord, they're, they're saying to you, you are number one, Lord Jesus. We give ourselves to you. We commit ourselves to you. This is what we want, is a life told out, totally given, sold out to Jesus. And I pray that you will help us to pray that today. We need a church full of committed people. We need a community full of committed people. We need all the churches to have committed people, Lord. There's too many going to hell in our community that need Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll help us to get on the right side of prayer and the right side of commitment and the right side, Lord, of worshiping God and a relationship with you. So you see our hearts, Lord, as we open them before you today. Shine your light on us. Show us how we can improve and be better in the service of Jesus Christ. Lord, you know all the other needs that are represented. Some that are sick. Some that are hurting today. Some that have gone through all kinds of things. We pray for them, Lord, as they, as they are dealing with this issue, that the Spirit would be near to them. Draw them close to you, we pray. We're confident, Lord, that you are meeting needs right here on this altar as we pray. We're confident, Lord, that you are answering prayer. And, Lord, it doesn't have to stay here. It can go outside the four walls of the church and get to other people's lives and hearts and help them to say yes to you. Lord, we want to see our community turn around. We want to see changes take place in our families and in our homes. Would you help us, Lord, to be the church that we need to be, to be the Christian we need to be at school and at work and on, at, at, on the streets and the way we drive our cars in our neighborhoods. And, Lord, every aspect of our lives, may we just let Jesus flow through us. We're confident, Lord, that you want to do that. We have to make ourselves open to you and willing for God to begin to work. So, Lord, we thank you for this commitment, this prayer that's been prayed today. And now, Lord, we also pray that you will guide us as we move forward and worship you and, 
and live for you and walk out of here, Lord, better people because of our prayer time today. Lord, what you have done in us, we want to continue to grow. We want it to get deeper and higher and stronger. Help our faith in Jesus to get greater than it was yesterday. Lord, help it to be greater tomorrow than it is today. Help us, Lord, to grow in you. Don't let us slide back, but help us to step forward intentionally, reading God's word, praying, listening to good music, and growing in our faith. And Lord, you are that kind of God. So feed us and lead us and help us, Lord, to be better today. Thank you. We love you for this time of prayer. We ask that you would help us as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're looking for a church in the Brazil, Indiana area, the Brazil Church of the Nazarene invites you to join us as we seek him, celebrate him, and serve him. Sunday morning, we have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. During worship, we have We Worship for preschool-aged kids and a children's church for elementary-aged kids. For this information, news, a schedule of events, and more, please visit us online at brazilnaz.com. That's B-R-A-Z-I-L-N-A-Z dot com. Or visit us in person at 1002 East National Avenue in Brazil. Thank you and God bless.